of all of these hundreds of reasons that we've been reading and will continue to read, if you don't learn how to overflow with thankfulness, you will not enjoy any of these. See, right in Roman numeral 1. Roman numeral 1 says everything God has saved us to be and do is good for us. Actually, Stacy, I see, just wrote it in for you. Now, you can write right above that in the white space, everything the devil has for me is to rob me of God's goodness. He's the liar. He's the accuser. He's the thief. The devil wants you not to experience the goodness of God. What is the goodness of God? Living, yielded to the Word of God that is perfect, that protects us, that provides for us life. Now, I want you to notice in these 36 verses we just read, if you look on the front page, go down to where it says Colossians 1, 11b, 12, and put a star by that. And notice, you were saved to have great endurance and patience, joyfully doing what? Giving thanks to the Father. You will not endure, you will give up in the challenges of life if you don't learn how to overflow with thankfulness. Go down then to Colossians 2, 6, 7, put a star by that. That's what we're going to study today, phrase by phrase, how God says, I want my children to learn how to overflow with thankfulness. Then turn your page over and go down to Colossians 3.17. And you will see again, you were saved to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Giving thanks. Gripers never finish. Complainers, they don't see God. Now you say, but pastor, if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't be able to say that. Well, look at, open your Bibles if you're not already there. Look at Colossians 2 and the way that chapter begins, and he uses the word twice, I am struggling. Now this, of course, is the Apostle Paul. How does the Apostle Paul struggle? Well, no matter where he goes or what he does, he gets beat up. He gets stoned. He gets beat with rods. He gets scourged. He's put in prison. And he says, all of this, I am struggling. And I am struggling for you. That is, no matter how many times my flesh feels like quitting, what if every time you share Jesus with someone, you got beat up and thrown in prison? Would you keep sharing Jesus? I mean, that's why he would be thrown in prison. And you read the book of Acts, Paul would preach sometimes, they'd have to usher him out at nighttime because they'd hear there's a plot, they're going to kill him. He'd get to the next town, and either the Jews, the Pharisees, the Romans, the Greeks, someone would say, we don't like this guy, he won't stop talking about Jesus. And they'd beat him up, they'd stone him, they'd scourge him five times. And so he writes, I'm struggling, but he gets down here to verse 6, and he says, and you, you've got it for your memory verse, let's read it. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. And what's the result? Abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. I asked some men this past Wednesday morning at Bible study, if you had to write down what most often overflows from your life, write it down. And I was quiet for 60 seconds. And one of the business owners, I said, okay, let's share if you'd like. A business owner, and if you're a business owner, you will identify He said, I overflow most of the time with what, business owners? I heard worries. He said, stress. He said, some days I think when I get up at 4 o'clock, he starts early, 
I just like to get up and make coffee for my wife and say, isn't this a nice day? But I never get up that I'm not thinking of payroll. I, I'm, I never get up that I'm not thinking of taxes. I never get up that I'm not thinking, what's going to go wrong today with all of these people that I'm over, that if, if they fail, then the work fails, then the clientele fails, then they get unhappy. And it's just stress. I want you to know all business owners, no matter what your stress is, God wants you to learn what we're going to study today, how to overflow with thankfulness. You know what we were doing one year ago? Miss Liz, are you here? She was supposed to be here. Liz Barley, I don't see her. Liz Barley, one year ago today, was in shock because some of you are nodding your heads. You remember what happened on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Her sweet husband, Dennis, 56, 57 years old, strong as an ox. He went deer hunting, climbed up on a tree, called his wife, said, Honey, I'll be hunting till about 5, 5.30. Climbed out of the tree, had a massive heart attack, and they found him dead at the base of that tree. Two years ago, Two years ago, last Sunday, we just had the service yesterday. You remember what happened in our church family? A young lady, Kayla Arshambo, was killed in a head-on collision out in Eureka. We had her funeral. See, life is filled with sorrow. Life is filled with sadness. But I want you to know, whatever your sorrow, whatever your sadness... You know, this past month has been a sad month for me because we found out that Joe Brooks, you heard it on the video last week, some of you would already heard it, has Parkinson's disease. What you didn't know is a week before that he thought he might even have cancer as well, but that came back negative. So this buddy of mine for 21 years in fact, he can never even tell people he has it. He starts it, then he just gets quiet because Joe has a struggle with crying. And so he'll look at me like, help me, buddy. So I tell, and I can cry. But I want you to know, and I've said to him, in all of the unknowns of his life, and I've said it to Babs, I've said, I want you to know God's will for our life is no matter what we go through, he wants us to overflow with thankfulness. Isn't that good? Just think, students, if you can learn today, no matter what you're going through, to overflow with thankfulness, how you will, how you will bless your life from wasting your life of living with that old disease of infinitus that I described earlier. So here we go. Five little phrases I'm going to teach you. This passage teaches itself. Now this is a how-to message. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the incredible God-given blessings when I learn to overflow with thankfulness. See, we've already said, Roman numeral one, everything God has saved us to be and do is good for us. So right in there, A, we were saved to overflow with thankfulness. Now, here's the how-to. We're going to take these five little phrases in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. If you don't have your Bible, you can just put a 1 before each of those phrases, 2, 3, 4, 5. If you have your Bibles, open them up because I'm going to have you look at some things just to mark them in Colossians 1 as well. So the first phrase says, as Lord. See, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, and circle the phrase, the Lord. Because when we receive Christ as salvation, we receive a Savior, but how does He save us? For who He is, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord. And as Lord, He saves us to 
and you give me the answers, A, B, C, D there. Jesus Christ saves us to be in, any answers? To be in control. Now just look right across, you that have your Bibles open, put down there Colossians 1, 16 to 18. See, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, or some translations say the preeminence. That is, that he might be in control. Now, anything that is not under his control in your life or my life, you will not overflow with thankfulness. You will be stressed out. You will worry. You'll get angry about it. You'll get aggravated. So the Lord Jesus, he saves us to be in control. He also saves us be to be what? To be first. He is the Lord. He is the first fruit. He is not coming into our life to be third or fourth because of who he is. He saves us to be first. Again, anywhere in your life, my life, where Jesus is not first, you're not going to overflow with thankfulness. Third, as the Lord Jesus, he saves us to love him with what? We got that one right. Let's say it. Love the Lord God with all, with all your, with all your, and with all your, yeah, love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Why? Because He's the Lord. And let me say again, wherever you're loving something more than the Lord, you're not going to be thankful. And D, as the Lord, He saves us to trust and, remember the old hymn? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy. Let's put, to be thankful in Jesus, but to. It's not just a good song. It's the way to overflow with thankfulness. Now, go to the second phrase. After it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, men, what does Scripture, does that remind you of? We often say in our men's Bible studies, there's only two ways to live life. Only two. Only two. You can either walk in the, in the flesh or in the spirit. So several weeks ago, Phil said, I want you to know that your flesh never improves a bit. And for his example, he said, take my dad. I want you to know his flesh has never improved a bit. And some of you went, oh, surely that couldn't be. I want you to know it's the truth. No matter if you've been a Christian for 175 years, and that covers all of us, your flesh has never improved one iota. See, that, that's a lie that often we think. Well, I've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years. I say, so what? If you've not learned to submit your life to the authority of God's Word, surrender your life to His presence, you're no better than a brand new babe in Christ. Because our flesh never improves. That's why Paul says, so walk in Him. And just put down there, Galatians 5.16. And then put down Colossians 1.27 and look across the page, you that have your Bibles open. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you want to realize all your potential in life, this is the way. To learn to be yielded completely to the Lord Jesus because you were created by Him for Him. 
And only as number one occurs, as he's in control, he's first, you love him with all your heart, and you trust and obey the authority of his word, will you overflow with thankfulness. Now, some of you will recall at different times I've told you one of the greatest insights I've ever learned about life. And it was when I was 29 years old, and it was from a Dr. David Mace. David Mace, at that time, he was the only man I've ever heard of then or ever that has three PhDs. He has a medical PhD, he has a psychology PhD, and he has a theology PhD. And they're not male catalog, they're earned degrees. At, when I heard him at 29, he was in his 70s. He was the Dr. Dobson of Christian relationships. I mean, everyone listen. Any seminary professor, they used Dr. David Mace in the 60s and 70s for illustrations more than anyone else. So this guy, I mean, God had blessed him with insight. And one day after I got through preaching as a young pastor at 29, a lady came up and gave me this VH tape and said, Pastor, you need to listen to this. It's from Dr. Mace. Well, whatever Dr. Mace had to say, I wanted to hear it. So I put it in there, and, and the tape comes on, and he says, I want you to know I'm about to share with you the greatest truth God's ever taught me. Well, boy, my antennas went up, my ears went out. I want to hear this. And I stopped it, ran, grabbed a notebook. I'm going to write this down. Then he went on and he said, I want you to know everything I've written in all these books that you've been so wonderful to buy, they're not true. Forgive me. I'm about to tell you what is the root problem in all relationships. And he went on to say, the biggest problem we have in relationships is called unresolved anger. Now you may be visiting here or you've not heard this, so you need to write this down. Unresolved anger. And he said, you know, I've written all these books that talk about all these reasons we have marriage problems. And we say in-laws and finances and our past and this and that and communication. And he said, wrong. We struggle in relationships because of one problem. Unresolved anger. Now, you may think you get angry for a lot of reasons, but you only get angry for three reasons. And what are they? Okay, section, did you get it over here? What are they? Hurt, fear, frustration. When you're hurt, if you don't know how to give that hurt to the Lord, you'll end up being resentful, bitter, angry, and blame. It's a loser's road. When you're frustrated, that's because something's out of your control. If you don't know how to give that to the sovereign control of God, see, you'll be angry. And fear. Well, you know, America right now is filled with a lot of fear. And you'll see people, and they're already, they'll do a lot of angry things. Fear is just something, again, that's out of my control. And he went on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Be angry, but what? Sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. That is, learn to live surrendered to the sovereignty of God, to the strength of God, to the sufficiency of God. So when you have hurts and fears and frustrations, don't go down that road of resentment, bitterness, anger, blame, stewing and spewing, vengeance, because it's a loser's road. Humble yourself, give it to God. And that was so transforming in my life. Anytime I find myself angry, I diagnose myself. Okay, am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Am I fearful? Often you'll have all three. Humble yourself, cast all your cares on God, be healed, and go on. Now I'm going to give you an insight. I've never given you this insight before. That as I've been writing, God has brought a truth to me that I've seen. I've taught parts and parts. But if you can understand this truth, and, and some of you were in life development last Sunday. You're the ones that heard it first. I'm going to give you an insight that if you can get a hold of this, it will explode truth in your mind and heart. And some of you that are living your lives in great conflict, 
and conflict over your past. And you can't figure out, how do I get out of conflict? And you often meet people and you feel like you have conflict with them. Look down here, it's in God's good, perfect word that he says, walk in him. Now, the bullet under number two, when we do not walk in him, this is how we live. We live, first of all, since Jesus is to be in control, first, love him with all our heart, trust and obey him. When we do not, we live in what? Starts with a C. Well, before we get to conflict, we live in compromise. See, I've told you before, we need to be yes, sir, Christians, but often we hear God's word and we're yes, but Christians. So whenever I don't trust and obey God's word, whenever I don't make him what he is, Lord of my life, that's compromise. Now, I want you to know I've never met another Christian, including myself, that doesn't live their life largely knowing parts of the Word of God, but tolerating disobedience in our life, and so we find ourselves living in compromise. Now, put in the next blank. What that compromise does, Kelly, is it puts us in conflict. In conflict with who? God. Now, when you or I am in conflict with God, you know who that puts me in conflict with? Everyone else. Because until I'm right with God, I cannot be right with others. You say, well, now I've got some people I can be right with. Well, that's only superficial. Just hang around for a while. They'll do something do that causes you to be impatient that you don't like. And you'll say, well, now I have conflict with that person. Now, when you or I are compromising in God's Word, man, if, you, if every family would take this home and say, okay, all these years we've been thinking we have conflict with each other, wrong. As long as I have conflict with my God, automatically I'm going to have conflict with all those around me. Just give it time. Now, when I'm in conflict, that leaves me to live a life of confusion. And when you're confused, you never see life as it is. Now, write down in those lines underneath there, the greater the level of conflict within a person, the lower the level of truth a person can handle. The greater the level of conflict within a person, the lower the level of truth a person can handle. And then right by that, Mark chapter 3, verse 6. And that shows you how quickly in the Gospel of Mark, when the Pharisees heard Jesus, who was full of grace and perfect truth, had conflict with him so much, they wanted to what? Kill him. If we'll take this home and understand that when we're having conflict in our family, and students, when you're having conflict with your parents, before you go off in confusion and complain that they just don't understand reality, you need to go get your life right before God, humble, submitted to Him, where you're not compromising His Word, and that way you can listen and hear the insight they have for you. Husbands and wives, when you're in conflict with each other, instead of thinking, that husband or that wife has no idea what I'm going through, go find you a quiet time, get right with God so you can listen to what they're saying. Or you will live your life in confusion. See, here's the challenge each week. Whether you're coming to a men's, women's Bible study, a Zoe, Awana for the children, Sunday morning Bible study worship. Do any of you ever doubt that you're going to hear the truth of God's Word? 
Does it ever surprise you when I say, open your Bibles and we study the Word of God? But many come, and because our level of conflict is high, we even get upset when we hear the Word of God, and we think, well, it's because pastor put me in conflict. No, we're already in conflict. When you listen to Christian radio, or maybe you don't listen to Christian radio because you don't want to hear what it says, because the higher the level of conflict in my life, the lower the level of truth I'm willing to receive. Now one last truth and then we're going to stop because I want you to hear the joy of not only being a giver but a goer in sharing Jesus and it all comes when I'm overflowing because thankfulness and joy always go hand in hand. Just go to that third one and we'll stop right there and we'll pick up this study next week. This next phrase in Colossians 2, 6 and 7 after it says, so walk in him, it says, rooted and built up in him. Now, when I see the word rooted, because I was raised by a daddy that was a horticulturist, and we were always talking trees and shrubs and plants. In fact, my dad was the apple expert of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. There were three other guys that they had to put their brand of signature on every pesticide, every kind of fertilizer that was ever developed. You can go on the Google and look up Dr. Ray Hunter. That was my dad. So I grew up learning about rooting. And when I think of this passage, it says, okay, because I want to learn how to overflow with thankfulness. I don't want to be a pastor that's stressed out by the challenges of life, by the heartaches of life. I want to overflow with thankfulness. When you come in and you say, these are my big problems, if I don't know how to overflow with thankfulness, it will discourage me and depress me. But you want me to be able to say, well, we have a God that's greater than that. Right? So this phrase that says, rooted and built up in Him, I want you to write in the bullet there under three. See, what we are rooted in and built up in determines our level of thankfulness. Now we're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. For here is a beautiful graphic word picture of what it means to be rooted and built up in the Lord God, in His Word. In Psalm 1, and mark it, and put Colossians 2, 6, 7 by your margin, so whenever you see Psalm 1, you'll think of this passage in, Psalm, or in Colossians 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, circle that word in your Bible, is in the word, in the law of the Lord. Okay, go on. And on his law, circle that word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted, circle that, by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. See, when our life overflows with thankfulness, even in the deserts of life, it's like we've got an underground water sprinkling system and our leaf does not wither. And we bear fruitfulness in season. And all we do, we prosper. That is, we live out the will of God. Now let me show you a picture. Go to that picture. I hope you recognize when you go out today, by the way, I had Philip take this picture on this past Tuesday. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, all the leaves blew off. So I'm glad we got it on Tuesday. But see, this corner, that's my office. 
the far corner, all those windows. And see, these trees are very special to me because one other man, Rick Stegman, and I planted them all on a Saturday morning. So I know all about their rooting. Now, when we got these trees, they were all healthy, equal. And one Saturday morning, we got here, and it had rained Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so no one else showed up. And it was just Rick and me. And we had these trees over here, and you know how, remember, no, no concrete, no sidewalks, no asphalt. And you know when it rains two or three days in Missouri, and you're walking on mud, no grass, you're walking around with five or six pounds of that old Missouri clay on your feet. And I mean, it was messy. But we had come to work, and I said, Rick, we got these trees here. Let's plant them, buddy. And that'll be our goal from 8 o'clock in the morning. It took us till about 1. We'll plant these seven trees. And they'll be outside. I'll enjoy watching them grow up. And I know I planted them because I'll look out the window there. And so we started going, and fortunately, because Rick is a farmer, and he's a big guy. He weighs about 240 pounds. And, and we got the trees over there, and he had a, a pick, and we had shovels, and we even had one of these big bars that you know you can jam, because we were planting every Saturday. So we were prepared to plant trees, whatever we ran into. Well, sure enough, this ground, about three inches down, is solid rock. So the two of us, we'd pick for a while, and you know we'd switch off, and we'd slam the rock, and we would dig the holes. Well, I want you to know the truth about this one tree. See how this tree looks wimpy? It's wimpy all the time. In fact, this summer it nearly died in the drought. And if Jim Bowen hadn't said, Pastor, that tree's dying, because I hadn't even looked at it, and I soaked it for three days with water, or it'd be a dead tree now. And I soaked the others, and I soaked it even more. But see, it's wimpy. And you know why it's wimpy? See, I know what you can't see. It happened to be on that tree, and actually the tree that Phil didn't get in there next to it, it's a little wimpy. But we dug and dug, and we never could get down more than about a foot because it's on solid rock. And finally, Rick and I, we were worn out. We realized we could not... We couldn't break. It was just solid rock. And so we said, well, let's plant it. We really fertilized it good. We hope that the root system will somehow go out and somehow get past that rock. Now, here's the point. What are you rooted in? Sugars, I'm going to say that again. What are you rooted in? If you're not rooted up and being built up in the Word of God, you're always going to be wimpy. Your leaf is going to wither, and it's a miserable existence. And I don't care what you've been planted in before. I know we all have more hurts. We have more heartaches. We have more pain. We have more suffering than anyone could imagine. We have more sin. We have more insecurities. You know all that stuff. But I'm telling you, this is the day. This is the day of the rest of your life when you say, you know what? I'm going to take this as the prescription of my life. I'm sick. Other day, Matt called and said, Lauren is running a high fever. We're taking her to the hospital. She is sick. And what do you need to do when you're sick? Get something to get you well. And I'm telling you today, it'd be the greatest Thanksgiving any of us ever had if we could get this message that I'm going to live my whole life. I don't care if I'm in church all my life, serving the Lord, what I'm doing. But when I am compromising to the Word of God, it's going to leave my life in conflict. And in that conflict with God, whoever I run into, I'm going to be in conflict with them. And it's going to leave me in confusion. And it's going to leave me ever running from this person because I'm in conflict with this person. That's confusion. No, you need to get right with God. I need to be right with God so that in Him, He might transform our lives, that we can love one another and be kind to one another and forgive one another and encourage one another and listen to truth from one another. And that's the abundant life.
Amen? And we'll talk about that more. But I want you to know, that's a big pill, but if you swallow it, it'll be good for us. And just remember, when you're in conflict, back up and say, okay, what is it that's being compromised in my life under the Lord? And husbands, I encourage you as the spiritual leader home, take this home and digest it with your family. And do it with gentleness and respect. Now, if conflict bursts open, just know there's too much conflict. And the higher the level of conflict, the lower the level of truth we can handle. So what do you do in that case? You love. You do what Jesus does with us when we're in conflict with him. What does he do? He patiently loves. Mr. Joe, come up here. We're going to just stop there. We'll finish this lesson next week. And we'll just go from this lesson right in to then looking at the blessings of being thankful. I just praise God for what he's doing in so many people's lives here. And Miss Kimberly, you just come up and you can be up here too. This guy, see, Phil taught on living is giving. But living is not only giving, but living is giving and going. And every time there's a catastrophe in our nation, praise the Lord, this guy, if you don't know him, Mr. Joe Washer, he takes off. When the guff comes, he takes off. When the tornadoes come, he takes off. When Joplin comes, he takes off. So when Hurricane Sandy comes, he takes off. He spent a week in Manhattan. And as he was sharing with me, I want you just to share, Mr. Joe, because you wouldn't be a, a giver and a goer unless you overflowed with thankfulness. And, and just tell them about your mission trip to Manhattan. Well, good morning, everybody. God is so good. Uh, Hurricane Sandy hit about three weeks ago, and uh, the Lord put it on my heart that uh, I needed to go and help. Uh, I've always had a heart to serve, to help. It always hasn't been for him. Originally, it was for me. Everything was for me. Okay, I helped, I helped. Look at me, look at me. Ever since I was saved, I've learned. It's not about me, it's about him. Look at him. It's always look at him. Hurricane Sandy hit. The Lord led me to go and help. I, along with my granddaughter, who's 18 years old, drove to Teterboro, New Jersey, and uh, we went to the church there, and uh, there was no room in the inn. They said they didn't have enough room for us, so I said, didn't Samaritan's Purse just open a new place in New York? And they said, yes, yeah. so I, I said, we'll give them a call, see if they need help. They said, yeah, we need people. We need people up here who can help, who love the Lord. So my granddaughter and I drove to Long Beach, New York. That's where we, Long, Long Island. Long Beach is on Long Island. We, uh, it, it was just a disaster, just a disaster. I, I, I've never been in uh, a situation of hurricane flood like that. And there was hurting people, a lot of hurting people. The first person we helped was a police officer who uh, was a motorcycle police officer. He had been hit by a car a year and a half ago, and his house was in bad shape. He was in bad shape. His finances were in bad shape. There were contractors all over the place. And uh, what the contractors said they would do for $30,000, Samaritan's Purse is who I hook up with whenever I go on these disasters. <coughs> Samaritan's Purse did what the contractors would have done for 30000 We did it for free. Samaritan's Purse, why I like them, is number one, it's the people, and it's sharing Christ. Number two, it's the work. They'll tell you if you sit down for eight hours and talk to them about Jesus, forget about the work. It's about Jesus. That's why I work with them. Um, we worked and worked for about a week and a half from morning till dark every night and we got to share Christ we got to share Christ every every homeowner we worked with 
worked on their house. They received a Bible, we all signed it, and someone in that group, in that crew of 15 to 20 people that worked on a house, got to share Christ with that person. And the, it is estimated that 1.2% of the population of Long Island is Christian, 1.2%. That's real close to nothing. The week and a half we were there, our crew, our, uh, we had 50 people there during the week, and we had approximately 280, 300 volunteers on the weekends. Uh, we had approximately 130 decisions for Christ in that week and a half. It wasn't just me. It wasn't the people. It was Jesus. It was Christ. Sharing Christ with people who were hurting and this 1.2% just went up. Um, God is good. God is good. And that's tell it. Him, <laughs> tell him, he shared last week in Life Development. Tell him the last thing when you're driving home. Oh, and yes. Just, and just thinking of the blessing of giving and going. The blessing of giving and going. Uh, I've, I've, I went to Joplin, I went to Harrisburg, Illinois, I've been down to Hurricane Isaac in the spring or a couple months ago, and this, and no matter when I go on these disasters, and no matter how hard I work, how badly I get hurt sometimes, uh, I always come back and I start to feel guilty. I feel guilty because I feel like I got more than I gave. It is more blessed to give than receive. And, and that, there's the blessing. God's good. God's good. The devil wants us to think, oh, no, that's not good. It's good. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Miss <laughs> uh, Kimberly. This is Miss Kimberly Fowl. And uh, Kimberly goes on mission trips across the ocean. Uh, two, three, four times a year. And she was telling me of her recent trip to Indonesia, and I said, you know, sometimes we just we get our focus on ourselves. Let's look at God in the world. Tell us about what God's doing in Indonesia. Well, good morning, faith family. My name is Kimberly Fowl, and I'm a missionary with Kidzana Ministries. Um, I'm an international training specialist for children's ministry. So what does that mean? It means that I go globally and I equip and train local believers to reach and disciple their country's children for Jesus Christ. And I returned to Indonesia for my second time a couple weeks ago. I was there in March with my daughter Jamie, and this was my 48th international trip. And when I travel, I often travel with a team, and this time my team was a little bit more international. I had my team member, Cheryl. She's from Calgary, Canada. I had Sam T, otherwise known as Uncle Button. He is from Malaysia. And then I had Nancy. She is from Spokane, Washington, and myself. We flew into Hong Kong, we met, and then we traveled together into Indonesia. And when I was there, I'm often, wherever I go, I'm often asked to teach on how to um, share the gospel with children. And it's one of my lessons that I'm most passionate about. And as I begin my lesson, I ask for people to make a timeline of when they came to faith in Christ. And as they were making their timeline, I noticed that some people were going like this and kept going like that. And I was asking my translator, why are they doing that? And they said, well, it's because they think that they were born a Christian. Because in Indonesia, when you're born, you have to put on your birth certificate if you're a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Catholic, or a Christian. So some people thought because they were born in a Christian family that they were Christian. Well, when my daughter Jamie was with me in March, she shared how she came to faith at a young child, even though she was born in a Christian home. I said, you know, God doesn't have grandchildren. He just has children. And I went on to share in my lesson um, a presentation that I do about the four hats and how we were all born wearing a hat. And the first hat we wear, it's actually called a veil. It's called the veil of darkness in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 14 through 16. It says that we were all blinded by our sin. The scriptures calls it a veil. And try as hard as we can to take it off. We can't do it in our own strength. It's only by Christ wearing the crown of thorns that allows us to take off the veil of darkness. Once we take that veil off and receive Christ in our life, then we get a new hat. 
The hat is called the helmet of salvation. And that's the hat that we wear as we're here serving on earth. But one day the Bible says that we'll get a new hat. And the new hat that we'll get is eventually the crown of life in James 1. It talks about that. And as I was sharing, I, I, I had a moment where I just really felt the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully among us. And I just stopped and I said, if there is anyone here that maybe hasn't surrendered their life to Christ, maybe hasn't made the decision for themselves to give their life to Jesus Christ, I don't want to move forward until I allow you to do that. And with every head bowed, I said, if you want that, if that's what your desire is, would you just open your eyes and would you look at me? And over 20 people opened their eyes and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. We had Indonesian pastors that, they were, that were there. They received him, and they had counseling, and it was such a powerful time. And usually when I, when I travel, I work with teachers. We don't always get to work with kids. But they said, Miss Kimberly, would you come and would you talk to um, our kids? We have a Bible club. And the Bible club had 43 kids in it. Um, these kids were children of prostitutes, concubines, and street laborers. And I thought it was really interesting as they described the children to me, they all described them as unwanted. Now, to hear that a human life is unwanted was troubling. But to hear that that applied to a child was even more troubling. They said, now, Kimberly's children are all kind of rowdy, and they might get up. They don't really follow rules very well. And I really prayed, Lord, what is the message that you want me to share with them? And he said, tell them of my love for them. So I talked about the prodigal son. Most didn't have fathers in their home. So I shared about how the, the father loved the son, even though he was away for a long period, how the father had a deep passion and love. And that was the same love that our Heavenly Father had for these children. The kids weren't rowdy. They weren't running around. They were sitting on the edge of their seat, leaning in and leaning in and listening. And at the end, we gave a chance for them to respond. And they did. They responded in great numbers to Christ. Now, at the beginning of the club, the teacher said, now today is a special day. Not only did we have a Westerner here, most of them had never seen a white person before, but they were going to be getting a small package as well as a special treat at the end. One of the little boys took his special package, and the package was a notebook for school. And he held it really tight to his heart, and he began praying over it. Now, I've given my kids back-to-school supplies. I have never seen them grasp their notebook and hold it tightly and pray over it. But this little notebook meant so much to that child. And at the very end, it was so precious. The special treat that they had was a very special packaged lunch. Now, you might think the most recognizable American face in Southeast Asia is President Obama. I am here to tell you it is not. It is Colonel Sanders. They got a box of KFC chicken, two pieces of scoop of rice and mango sauce on the top that they were in heaven over. And as they got their box, the teachers, six men, one woman, would place their hands on them, and they would pray over them, and they would bless them, and they would send them on their way. Now, my son Ryan just turned 16 on Black Friday, and at our house, you always get to pick your special dinner. Well, my son, he picked KFC too. So it must be something that transcends all cultures. But he scarfed that down right away. Those kids, when they got their lunch, they packaged it up, they put it on their bike, and they rode all the way home to share it with their families. You know, um, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world. And that Muslim influence, it affects so many elements of society. I stayed in a hotel room, and as I looked up the ceiling, I saw that there was an arrow. And I had no idea why an arrow was at the ceiling. So I actually asked, why do we have an arrow in our ceiling? And they said, that's for the Muslims to pray to Mecca. I wanted to turn the arrow. No, I didn't. <laughs> but um, it affects so many elements of their life. And in fact, so many of our um, leaders that we worked with, over 301 teachers is who we trained. And those teachers have influence over 21,000 children. One of our teachers that I got to know very well, her name was Grace. And uh, Grace and Esther had come from the northern part of Indonesia. And in the northern part, Muslim extremists are very dominant. Um, Sharia law is very prevalent, which if you're familiar with Sharia law, it's a very strict form of the Muslim religion. In fact, women we know have to wear the burqas, and they have very um, strict standards that people have to abide by. Well, Grace and Esther came from that northern part of Indonesia. 
And as I was talking to Grace, who spoke a little bit of English, she told me about her journey to come to our training. Grace took 20 hours to travel about 425 miles. I had 40 hours to travel about 12,000 miles. Her journey was much more in-depth than mine because just to get to the first point, she had to take a train to the airport. Then she had to fly into the town. Then she had to take a bus and to where our training was. I said, Grace, why are you doing all this? She goes, because there's so many Muslim kids that I am working with. I gotta come and I get, gotta get more equipped. I go, tell me about the kids that you're working with. She goes, oh, God's doing so many things. They're from Muslim backgrounds and we gather every week. And when we gather every week, Muslim, other Muslims combine, they all throw rocks at us. And she kind of said that with a little bit of enthusiasm. I said, you kind of happy about that? She goes, yeah, I think I'm doing a good job then. And so she wasn't, she wasn't saying it was a bad thing. She said it was a really good thing. And as she kind of went on to talk and, uh, more about the kids, she just said God's doing a great work in their life. They're coming to faith in Christ. And now our kids are faced with a decision. Do I go back and tell my parents that I'm Christian now? Because if I do, I could be um, kicked out of my home and become homeless, or I could be beaten, or they might even kill me. And so Grace came, and she wanted to know the answers to those questions, because those are the things that God is doing in her life and in the life of her children. And so as our message today was on thankfulness, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because of your prayers and your giving and your encouragement, support, and love, kids halfway around the world are coming to know about Jesus, and their leaders are more passionate and excited than ever before about serving kids and serving God. So thank you. As we close today, what has the Lord said to you this morning? I hope, students, the Lord has said to you, I'm not going to waste my life always wanting to be another age, always wanting to have something in. Wherever you are today, God wants you as his child to overflow with thankfulness. And by the way, when you do, isn't it good to be around people that are thankful? That word, overflow, if I had a picture right now, a gallon pitcher, and I started pouring it in an eight-ounce glass, what would happen? <laughs> You'd get all wet. Just think if we got everyone around us wet with thankfulness. Because remember, thankfulness and joy always hold hands. And when thankfulness and joy hold hands, Jesus is glorified. And we're givers. And we're goers. And sometimes you don't have to go across the ocean. You just go across the street. Now, some of you remember, because you've asked me about it a number of times, about my neighbors that are lost and they're mean and they don't even like to see me. Well, they just had a baby. So you can pray this afternoon because I've never gone over. You know when people don't like you, you don't go to their door, right? But Ronnie and I are going over and going to knock on their door. They're going to open it up, and we're going to say, we got something for your little baby girl. Because we overflow with thankfulness. And when you overflow with thankfulness, you what? You give, and you go. See, if you're overflowing with thankfulness, students, this afternoon, if you cruise through the kitchen and there's dirty dishes, what might come into your head? I think I'll clean the kitchen and mom and dad will walk in and go, wow! That's thankfulness. 
may to the glory of God we become a people that overflows with thankfulness. Now I want you to prepare your heart. Last thing. Prepare your heart for coming next Sunday. We're going to finish this study. Then we're going to go right into a study of the incredible blessings of God from our life. And, and we're just going to study the scriptures. It's not what I think. We're just going to see it in scripture. And then Mark's going to come and share with you the vision that we as church staff and elders since the Lord leading in our life this year. And it means we must overflow with thankfulness so we'll be a giving people and a going people. We're going to talk about being much more mission-minded, not only in our community, but across the world. But you've got to be prepared for that. So come prepared. It's exciting. It's exciting. And if you don't know Jesus yet, don't leave today. I'll stay here. And if I can't lead everyone to Jesus, I mean, we'll sit down and just go through the scriptures and say, this is what it means to know who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. And by the way, one of the marks of having the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is thankfulness. Let's pray together. Just know, everything God has for us is so good. God is so good. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you today for your patience, for your mercy, your kindness with us. Lord, we struggle with you being first. We struggle with you being in control. We struggle with loving you with all our being. And Lord, I just thank you for opening the eyes of our hearts to understand life better. You saved us to live in freedom, not in compromise. You saved us to delight in your word, not avoid it. You saved us to meditate on your word, not stay away from it. And you saved us to walk in peace, not in conflict and confusion. So, Father, I, I just pray for all of us. Today will be a, oh, now I see. Now I see. I must surrender my life to the one Lord God that being right with him I can enjoy serving others loving others encouraging others and Father we just thank you for a, a new step of understanding in you that we can start living on a new level with you in overflowing thankfulness with one another. And because of that, we'll become goers like we've never been to tell others about Jesus, whether it's across the street or across the world. Lord, to your honor, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sweeties, make sure if you came in uh, after Kirk made the announcements, we need 35 men or teenage boys. We need 35 men more to sign up today to serve. Put those green forms out there. Remember, parents of children of upward age, boys and girls, evaluation, that is tryouts, are this Tuesday. And this Thursday night, they need to do evaluation to be in the season. And then uh, time's growing near. Make sure you sign up if you want to get tickets for uh, 
the Christmas tea. God bless you, and I will see you later, whenever that is. <laughs>